g'day and welcome back to the podcast. Today it's Tuesday, 20th of August, 1946. In this episode, we enjoy a letter that Bette has written to her godmother, Edith Thompson, filling her in on the various Nanchang goings-on, both romantic and otherwise. As we've learned, the UNRWA team is a small group of Europeans living and working within a virtual sea of Chinese. They're all getting along well, and the Chinese are very welcoming and appreciative of all the help from UNRWA. For all that, there are, of course, cultural curiosities and differences, many of which challenge the Western sensitivities. You'll also recall that rumours have been circulating for a few weeks now concerning a possible extension of service from the original end date of March 1947 until December 1947, a further nine months. Whilst Baird and the others are happy to serve out their original 12-month contracts, these rumours are not going down too well. In 1946, a typical Western form of letting off steam and entertainment, particularly in such a remote location, was to perform small plays and skits for their own enjoyment. Included with today's letter is a bonus. It's a copy of a skit written by the Aussies in Nanchang, expressing how they're feeling about staying in China until December 1947. What's particularly interesting is how it colourfully summarises their experiences in China and the things that they miss. Enjoy. Mrs Betty Souter. UNRWA Regional Office, Nanchang, Changsi, 20th of August, 1946. My very dear godmother, I have not written to you for some days, but then I've been a very busy girl, as you have no doubt heard from the family. Now that Marge and Joan are back and the two new secretaries are in running order, I find that I will have a bit of time to relax and some new opportunities for tripping around the countryside, I hope. These days, I am feeling extra well and quite on top of the world. I have had the minor health problems of heat rashes and dysentery to cope with, but apart from those, I am flourishing. I do not think that I am putting on weight, because my clothes seem to be no tighter, but it is surprising. And there is a man here, too, who is adding much to my enjoyment of life. He is a dear, and we are enjoying each other's company a great deal. Mother has probably mentioned it to you, though, in one of your gossip sessions. So, all things being considered, I write to you in a happy frame of mind. Your letter of August 7th have not yet acknowledged, so I shall read it through again now and see if there is anything that you have particularly asked me about. Hold on for a few minutes. The Garden it is a pity you asked about that. We did not have much success. Between the terrific heat and daily thunderstorms with torrential rains, we just lost heart. There are a few straggling flowers and an occasional lettuce, but I think we had best just not waste airmail limitations on the garden. I am glad that the pointy wives Beano was so successful. 
I don't remember them having anything like that before. Incidentally, I saw the picture of David Rich and his bride in the paper. Did you go to the wedding? I expect that you did. Mother told me something about it. I'm always glad to have your comments about how the various members of the family look, because they don't always tell me themselves. I imagine that the trip to Melbourne would have done Mother and Mars a lot of good, since from all accounts they relaxed and rested quite a bit. Excellent news that Drew is returning to New South Wales. She's no doubt quite happy about the arrangement too. My work continues along much the same lines. I thought that I would never take it in my stride, but I find that I am now beginning to do so. And the comments on cholera deaths, water buffalo disease, rice borer, etc. are just some more facts to put in the reports. You may be interested in some figures that I've just read from Shanghai. I know that Uncle Fred will give them a moment's thought. As at August 1st, 230 ships had discharged UNRWA cargoes at Shanghai, with a total tonnage of 765,512 long tons. That means quite a lot of supplies. And on the personnel side, as at June 30th, amongst the Class 1 employees in China, there were, in the total of 1,214 persons, 111 Australians. Australian personnel were third on the list, with the other two being United States with 767 and United Kingdom with 163. But, since that date, there have been more Aussies than others arriving here, so we would almost certainly be second on the list now. After Australia came Canada with 42, then New Zealand with 28. It certainly is a large organisation. We have heard no more about the extension of our service until December 1947, but I don't think that Betty Mavis will want more than her scheduled 12 months. In this regard, I enclose a copy of the sentiments of the Nanchang office. You have probably read the family's copy by this time, but I just noticed an extra copy on my desk and thought that Uncle Fred might appreciate it. The glory of this little skit is that it contains only the truth. The man responsible for the U.S. skit, Claude Brewer, has unfortunately left this office on his way home to the States. He was a very fine person and one of the best friends here. Kay Kesteven, with the assistance of all Aussies here, prepared the Australian version. We're enjoying a short respite from Chinese entertainments. It may seem strange to you that I say enjoying, but I really do mean what I say. In this heat which I have mentioned often enough, I'm sure, to convince you that I'm not dreaming about it. Those Chinese feasts of 20 or more courses were rather more than we could take. So Bill decided to put a notice in the newspaper requesting that we be excused from all invitations until September 15th. The notice had to be paid for in the same way as an advertisement and seems to have had the same effect because we have been swamped with invitations ever since. China is a contrary country, but we stand firm and stay home. The final action was taken when some of us had to attend a luncheon and a dinner one working day, the lunch taking from 12 till 3 and then the dinner from 6 till 10 and then go on to a dance from 10 till 12 and then, yes, 
is quite true, breakfast the next morning, about six courses. That, to my way of thinking, was a bit too much, even in the interest of international pacifism and courtesy oriental. I'm continuing with my Chinese lessons, given to me gratis twice a week by a young Chinese man who seems to have become an admirer. Claude Brewer teased me a lot about my admirers in China, calling the retinue Betty's bandwagon. And I must say that this particular one is being most constructive. I'm only trying the conversational side of the language and will consider myself pretty good if I can ever carry on a 10-minute conversation. As in their habits, they are contrary in their language. The servants get many laughs out of us when we try to be clever with our Chinese. We probably say something perfectly dreadful in our efforts, just like my little Chinese lady friend here who talks about the painful ways of my intestines when she's not feeling well. I really do think that the Chinese make a better job of English than we do of Chinese. Well, Auntie dear, it is time for me to get ready for dinner. Hank is hovering close, wanting me to go out for a look at the sunset. We really do have beautiful sunsets across our river. Molten gold, with the black silhouettes of the junks and barges standing out against the blue and purple hills. Marge says they are chocolate box lid sunsets, but they are much more real than that to me. The boat's always moving and the water currents making the gold swirl around in the melting pot. I shall therefore go sit on the seawall for a while. Lots of love to all three. Extra hug for my very own godmother, Bettykins. And here now is the skit. Stay in China until December 1947. Australian version. Stay here till December 1947. With apologies to Claude Brewer and the gentleman from Arkansas. Mr LaGuardia, Mr Ray, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to be heard if I have to shout louder than a flock of egrets on the Khan River. I'm going to make myself heard above the babble of 450 million Chinese voices. I'm going to put up more of a squawk than a Shanghai rickshaw coolie who didn't collect 200% extra from a foreign fair. I'm going to squeal louder than all the wheelbarrows in China. I'm going to tell the world, without the benefit of radio, newspapers, cable or telephone, stay in China till December 1947? Hell no. Go without ice-cold beer till December 47? Hell no. Smoke ruby queens till December 1947? Hell no. Forgo the fun of doing the town? Not knowing who is running in the cup? Miss out on the Sheffield Shill matches? Forget what a horse looks like? Miss all those long shoots in on a good surf? Live without the sight and smell of a gum tree? Give up Billy tea? Steak, plain bread and fresh butter? Chops and green salads until December 47? Hell no. Riding jeeps and trucks till December 47? Hell no. Thumb rides on LSTs? Choke on dust? Swelter in sweat? Shiver in dampness? Dodge the spit? Duck the slop? Fill in five forms and sign three copies till December 47? Hell no. Scrape off mould? Dress like a tramp? 
wait six weeks for mail from home, say way instead of hello on the phone, look at the clock and wonder what time it is, ask rational questions and get ambiguous answers, write reports that nobody reads, wait for instructions that never come, go ahead on your own and get bawled out for not following instructions, never see the pictures or hear good music, hear the constant hack cough spit, smell the east and never see the inside of a bar till 1947? Hell no. Be crowded and stared at till December 47? Hell no. Travel over rough roads to sleep on mud floors to the sound of the babble of a foreign language? Eat strange foods and never be alone till December 47? Hell no. Never see a blonde? Never see fresh milk or cream? Never turn a tap? Make sure the drinking water has been boiled. Never have a swim and always be afraid to touch the earth till December 47. Hell no. Have a headache without aspirin, malaria without atabrin, prickly heat without powder till December 47. Hell no. Never go sailing or riding. Sleep in the dust of DDT. Keep out the rats with a mosquito net. Never smell burning gums. Ruin the digestion with Chinese feasts. Talk for hours through interpreters. Wave goodbye when you want someone to come to you. Pay four times the value of everything on the lowest pay and pay taxes for the privilege of putting it up with it all to December 47? Hell no. You can have dinner on time. You can teach coolies how to blow their noses in their hankies. You can take the soup without slurping. You can do away with cuspidors. You can install modern plumbing. You can cut out squeeze. You can make the Yangtze flow uphill. You can have the sun set in the east. You can drink Shao Xing from the Big Dipper. You can do it Jing Tiang instead of Ming Tiang. You can run Chu En Lai as vice president on the Kuao Mintang ticket. You can eliminate politics, usury and hoarding. You can change the seasons and have the Dragon Festival on New Year's Day. You can get pure water from the Can River. You can flush night soils down the drain. You can make the CNC worth more than the American dollar. You can tear down the Great Wall with a chopstick. You can dry up the China Sea with a blotter. You can hurdle the Himalayas and light your pipe with the sun. You can change the name of Arkansas, but stay in China till December 47? Hell no. Production credits for this episode. Produced and narrated by Warren Henry. The voice of Betty Souter by Helen Polkinghorne. And in introducing this featured tune from 1946, it's worth mentioning that Hank, Bet's new romantic interest, has previously worked as a nightclub singer in California and elsewhere. He has an outstanding voice, smooth as Tennessee whiskey, in the crooning style made famous by Bing Crosby. Not mentioned in Bet's letters is the fact that her romancing sessions in the moonlight by the Khan River included no small amount of Hank's serenades. Perhaps even today's featured tune, I Can't Begin to Tell You, performed by that same Bing Crosby, accompanied by Carmen Cavallaro on piano. I can't begin to tell you how much you mean to me My world would end if 
ever we were through I can't begin to tell you How happy I would be If I could speak my mind Like others do I make such pretty speeches Whenever we're apart But when you're near The words I choose Refuse to leave my heart So take the sweetest phrases The world has ever known And make believe I've said them all to you Ooh. Mm-hmm. 